God's Word. God's Word is so rich, so powerful. Do you understand that God knows what He's doing? Does that have dawned on you? Does it occur to you yet He's smarter than you are? It took me a while to figure that out. Now, if you had asked me, of course, I'd say, oh, yeah, God's smarter than... But you could tell by the way I live my life, I thought I was smarter than God. One of the ways I thought I was smarter than God is I'd read His Word and then do what I wanted to do. Somehow I thought that I knew better than God did. And He's a wonderful Father. He'll just stand there and say, okay. I told you Sunday my mother had an expression, those that don't hear, listen, feel. And He'll let you stub your toe, bump your nose, fall on your face until you're ready to listen. He's not angry. He's just patient. He can, he can hold his breath longer than I can. Remember, children will hold their breath and your parent... You, my mother figured that out early on. If you hold your breath long enough, you just pass out and start breathing again. So she said, go ahead. I've made me so mad. Made me so mad. But God's smarter than we are. That means He knows what we need. So if you want to know what you need, don't rely on what you think. Look at what God's given you. And what's He given us? He's given us His Word. That's not just a book. It's God's Word to you. And that Word will change your life more when you begin to recognize God speaking to you. He's written a book to you. And then He's put the Spirit of God, His Spirit, in you. That's the second provision. He's put His Spirit in you to make that Word become alive to you. The Spirit of God is His resource to the church. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. And if you're born again, you've got both of them in you. You've got the Word of God. Well, it's up to you how much of the Word you've got in you based on how much you eat of the Word. Not how many eclairs you eat, but how much of the Word of God you eat. It's our daily diet. It's our daily bread. Praise the Lord. Did I tell you where to turn yet? Hebrews chapter 3. We're still talking about faith, but we're talking about a particular aspect of it. And this is a, we're doing faith on Sunday morning and faith on Wednesday night, but we're coming at it from two different sides because I believe the Lord spoke to me an, a month or so ago and said we need to emphasize faith because of what some of the people in this congregation are going through right now and what some will be going through because we're too easily moved by the circumstances. We're too easily moved by the circumstances. Hebrews chapter 3, why am I in Hebrews chapter 10 now? Hebrews chapter 3, let's pick up with what we've been reading. Verse 7, Therefore, says the Holy Spirit, we need to listen to the Spirit of God, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That means it's possible to hear His voice and then harden our hearts. So he says, if you hear His voice, acknowledge that it's the Spirit of God talking to you and realize, I need to hear what He's having to say to me. I mean, it's one thing if somebody, you know, people speak all kinds of things to me all the time, and I weigh out. In fact, Anita and I were taught on the way back from this conference today to do this, because we're turning around going back tomorrow, but on the way back to do the service tonight, we were talking about some, you know, some other ministries that have kind of tried to help me and give me some advice, because I'm learning what to do. And, and, uh, uh, and I, I, it's amazing how you'll listen to one, this will say one thing, you'll listen to somebody else and say just the opposite. You know, what do you do? And you realize, you know, they're giving you the best opinion that they have. And then after, ultimately, you've got to listen in here and say, out of all of that, God, what are you telling me to do? Because I believe God will be faithful to me 
as the shepherd of this flock to show me what to do. But I listen to others because God may use them. But I was explaining to her, maybe this is my legal background. Because I was trained as a lawyer, you don't just accept something somebody says. Because i got to go talk to the judge. And the judge doesn't care what somebody's opinion is. He wants to know what that book, the law book says. He doesn't care what I think. He doesn't care what my client wants. He doesn't care what anybody... He wants to know, what does the law say? See, that's what I learned to argue to the judge. Because that's the only thing he listens to. So I was, my mind was trained to go back and find out to the source. And so, you know, even if I read a newspaper, I don't accept everything I read unless it's this book. I don't accept everything somebody tells me. I wonder, what's your source? You know, how do you know that? Just because somebody, I was reading a, a, a history book a year or so ago, and they were going into some conversation two people had, and then what they thought about it, and say, how do they know what they thought about? This was 400 years ago. How do they know? So just some author says they knew. That doesn't mean, why do they say they know? So I've got that kind of mind, and it's been trained, and sometimes it, it, it becomes an interesting challenge to my wife. <laughs> her father warned us when we, her when we got married, understanding you're marrying a lawyer. She had no idea she was marrying a pastor too. So praise God. God didn't let her know that because she might not have gone ahead. But anyway, praise the Lord. She's been wonderful these 43 years. So how did I get off on all that? Did you do that, Joe? Did you pull me off track? All right. <laughs> what were we talking about before I interrupted myself? Faith. I know that. <laughs> They're talking about not listening to people you talk to. See, I... <laughs> Praise God. The source, listening to the source and discerning. We're talking about somebody that I respect was giving me advice, and I'm saying, she said, well, why don't you just listen to them? They're a respectable person. I said, because I hear, I'm listening to the advice that they're giving me, and then I want to hear, what are, they, are they consistent with the thing they tell me? So if one time I talk to them, they tell me one thing, and the next time I talk to them a week later, they tell me something else... If your doctor does that, you know, one day he says, you know, it's this, and then you go back and talk to him again. He says, no, it's something else. Like, well, which is it? Is there a reason why you changed your mind, or is you are you guessing? You see, with with God, he doesn't guess. God knows what he's talking about. See, I really didn't know where we were. God knows what he's talking about, and so you can trust that word. So when he says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Recognize it's God's voice that's talking to us. So I don't need to wonder, can I trust his voice? Do I have to check his voice out? Because it's God. And God cannot lie. The Bible says that three places. It says he's, in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the Son of Man that he should repent. Has he not said it? And shall he not bring it to pass? In other words, when God says something, it has to happen. So that word that you have is a word from God. And therefore, we need, if we know what's best for us, we need to listen to his word. And so he's warning, but he's giving us an example here of people that did not listen. Verse 9. Where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in my heart. They've not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath that they would not enter into my rest. Now let's go over to um, um, verse chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering into his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Now the them 
It was the children of Israel that we've been talking about on Sunday morning that came out of the wilderness and God's will was for them to go into a land that He had promised to them. He'd given His word to them, actually to their forefather Abraham. He's given His word to them that He was going to take them out of bondage and put them into a land of blessing. That was His word He'd given to them. They had His word. But when they heard His word, they chose not to listen to it. And God was not pleased with them. But now He's going to talk in chapter 4 to us, saying this story is an example to us, lest we also make that same mistake. Now, what He's talking about is for them, was that the promised land was a place of rest. And he's going to talk to us about a place of rest. And that's what we've been talking about. The series we've been in, this part of this series is called Faith Rests. Faith Rests. When I'm really in faith, I'm at rest. And we're studying what that means to be at rest the way the Bible talks about it. Okay. Could any of you use some rest tonight? And rest in this context is not a vacation. Sitting down on the Caribbean seashore, although that's an appropriate rest at times. But this is a different type of rest. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering, notice, His rest. We're going to see that again. Let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. So it's possible to come short of His rest. I'm not talking about whether you're saved or not. Verse 2, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word that they heard did not profit them. So they heard the word, but it did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed or combined with faith in those who heard it. So it's possible to hear the word and not mix it with faith. And if you hear the word and you don't mix it with faith, then we're going to see what happens. For we who have believed do enter into that rest. So now we see that the way into this rest is by believing God's word, His promise. So I swore in my wrath that they would not enter my rest. Notice again, in verse 1 it says, His rest. In verse 3 it says, My rest. God talking about my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And when we started this this, this study of His rest, we went back and looked at what the writer of Hebrews was referring to, and we went back into Genesis Chapter 2, the first verse, actually we looked at chapter 1 and saw God on the first day created certain things, on the second day created other things, and six days He created things. And then chapter 2 says, when He finished His creation, He rested. And what we talked about, and this was something I've never seen before until we got into this study. And if I'd have thought about it, I would have realized this, but I just never made the connection. Because we think of resting because we're tired. Right? But there's another reason to rest. Because God doesn't get tired. The Bible says He never tires. He never sleeps. So when it says God rested, it wasn't because He was 
Whew, it's that hard work. How can it be hard work? He just said, let there be. There's nothing hard for God. He never tires. He never slumbers or sleeps. So he didn't rest because he was worn out, burned out, fried out from this process of... of, And now that's the rest we've got to enter to because we're also burned out and fried and exhausted. No, he rested because there was no more work to do. When the work's done, you rest. So he rested because he was finished his work. And now we see he's telling us that we are to enter into his rest. And notice why here. He tells us why. That we are to enter into his rest. Why? Although the works, his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And what we saw is that everything that God had in His heart to ever do for us was finished before the foundation of the world. And because it was finished, there's no more to do except believe that the work has been done. And when we... God's resting now. He's not running around looking at your situation. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh my me, what are we going to do? Oh, how are we going to... Where are we going to come up with that money? They've given a deadline of Friday. Oh no, what are we going to do? Can you imagine God? Did you see... Jesus was the perfect example of God. You ever see Him wringing His hands out of frustration or fear? I mean, the gospel's full of examples of this, but I mean, there's one point where they're out in the wilderness and his disciples come to him and said, Master, we've been out here for days and the people are hungry. Maybe we ought to send them, you know, send them in the town and go to McDonald's and Burger King and you know, get something to eat quickly and come back here. He says, no, you feed them. What do you mean we feed them? He says, well, find out what you've got. So they did an inventory of what they had and they just had a boy's lunch. He says, well, bring it to me. See, that's the key. Take what you've got and and, and bring it to me. And you know the story. He multiplied it. He did that with 5,000 men. And then he turned around later did it with 4,000 men. And then in Luke's gospel, right after that, they get in a boat to go to the other side of the lake and they forgot their food. And Jesus says to them, starts talking about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and they start getting into this big twit that they forgot their food. And Jesus stops and says, didn't you get it? He says, where were you when I fed the 5,000 and we ended up with 12 baskets fulls left over? He says, and then we just now finished feeding 4,000 out of nothing and there were seven baskets left over or whatever it was. In other words, don't you get it yet? You're not limited by the resources that you have in your hand because my Father supplies all your needs according to His riches and glory. See, He believed that. Therefore, He was anxious for nothing. Doesn't He say in Matthew chapter 6? He said... 
why are you anxious about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat? He said, the Gentiles, that means people who have no covenant with God, they anxious about those things, and they have need to be, they have no covenant relationship with God, but that's not you. He says, just look at nature. Look at the lilies of the field. They grow up and they're beautiful and God's clothed them with all this beauty. And what value do they have? They grow up and the sun comes out and they're scorched and they dry up for this season. And then God does it again next season. If you don't get that, look at the birds of the field. Do they toil and worry and panic and fear whether they're going to eat or not? Don't you know your father feeds the birds of the field? And then he hits it. He says, aren't you of more value to him than the birds? And then he says, this is your perspective. Verse 33. This is what you're supposed to have. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Earlier in that chapter, he says, don't you know your Father knows what you need before you pray? He's watching over you. In fact, if you study the Bible, you'll find out He knew what you need today before the foundation of the world and He laid it up for you before the fact. See, His work was done before the foundation of the world. So, and so he rested. So we're now, by believing that he's already done it, we enter into his rest. And you know you're in his, see, if you're in his rest, you don't need to be out worrying about how it's going to be done because you know it's done. Therefore, you can rest. And that's what he's talking about. In every area of God's provision for you. In every area of God's provision for you. Well, let's go on and read some more. That's what we're talking about. Verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains... going to talk about us. Since therefore it remains that some still have to enter into that rest, and those to whom it was first preached, that's the Israelites in the wilderness, did not enter because of disobedience. Notice he equates disbelief, unbelief, with disobedience. Because they are connected. Because to not believe what God says is to say, I don't believe He's told the truth. And because I don't believe He's told the truth, I won't do what He said. Verse 7. So since there still remains the day yet that He's talking about, 
Verse 7 says, Again he designates a certain day, saying in David, that's King David, Today, after such a long time has been said, Today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8. Now if Joshua, he was the leader that brought them up to the promised land, the second generation, and brought the second generation into the promised land, and they rested in that land. For if Joshua had given them the rest, meaning the rest that we're talking about, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. And he who has entered into his rest, not your rest or my rest, God's rest, he who has entered into God's rest himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So we're talking in this whole discussion about faith in what God says. And when I believe what God says, I really believe it, then I know it's going to happen. So I don't need to figure out how. I don't need to figure out when. I know it's going to... As long as I know it's going to happen, it's God's business. And you've heard me tell the story over and over again. See, God's not, God's not intimidated by deadlines. I know we feel it. There's a psalm, I don't remember which it is, and this is a very loose translation. Somewhere where David's crying out to God, he says, I know you're going to do this eventually, but now would be nice. <laughs> it's a very loose translation, but that's... Ever feel that way? I know you're going to come through, God, but... Have you looked at the calendar? You see where it says, due date... If it's not paid by... See this, see this date? I know you don't go by calendar, but the bank does. But I've watched God do things after it was... See, there's no such thing as too late with God. See, when, 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 you, when the deadline passes and you didn't see Him come through, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. I've watched God change deadlines. I've watched God change deadlines. If He can part seas, what's a deadline to Him? Well, the greatest deadline was the one that Jairus discovered. When on his way for Jesus to heal his daughter, he finds out his daughter's dead. That's a deadline, no pun intended, right? That's a real deadline. It's too late, his servant said. You've passed the deadline. You've run out of time. What was Jesus' reaction? Oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have spent the time with this woman. Well, it was a good try. We'll go pray for some. No, see, the deadline didn't stop Jesus. The deadline didn't stop Jesus. And that's why he got a hold of Jairus, basically, and says, and don't let it stop you. Don't let... Remember who God is? He's the God of the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. He's the God of the impossible and He loves you and He's on your side and He's already completed His works on your behalf and given you His Word to tell you what He's completed. All that's left is for you to believe Him and to trust Him that He's telling you the truth. And the way we do that is by stop striving. Now, how do we strive? By figuring out how He's going to do it. And that's so hard. Well, let's go on and read. Read. 
And he, verse 10 says, For he who has entered his rest, that's God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Now let's look at another scripture that talks about this rest. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Because Jesus talked about this also. We'll get a little bit of insight into here. Verse 28, well-known scripture. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden or heavy burden, heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, how does he give us rest? Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Now, what's a yoke? What's he talking about there? We were in a restaurant the other day, and uh, actually with Brother Mario and his wife on Sunday afternoon in, in, a, in the waiting room of this restaurant, there's a, a yoke for oxen, and we got talking about it. And a, a yoke was what the, like we would put oxen or donkey or, or, or animals to pull the plow or a cart. And now where they use harnesses and things like that, this yoke was a piece, a heavy piece of wood, one piece of wood with, which was carved so that it would have usually two, sometimes one, but two arches in it. And then it would have a piece of wood or metal that goes down underneath that would fit underneath the neck of the animal that was using it. And then attached to this piece of wood would be straps or poles connected to the cart or the plow or whatever was used. And so this would rest on the shoulders of that, of that ox or whatever the animal was. And therefore, by the weight of that, by the weight of that, and by the restriction on its neck, when that animal went forward, it pulled the load after that. And that yoke was heavy. And it represented the device that was used to carry a load and to pull a heavy burden. And they were all familiar with that. So Jesus says, come unto me. Notice he didn't teach them a principle. He didn't say the answers to understand some theology. Notice he didn't say the answer some exercise. It's a personal connection to him. He said, come to me. So when you're burdened down and you're worn out, and when you're tired of all your, of your energies and your strivings, and they don't seem to be getting anywhere, here's your answer. Go to Him. We sang it tonight. Come just as I am. Come just... That's how you got saved, wasn't it? You came... That song's the one Billy Graham would play for all these years as part of his altar call. I, just, you know, I can't hear that song without thinking of Billy Graham and the tears welling in me as I see the thousands pouring forth just as they are. And I remember what that song meant to me as a young Christian and what it meant to me. And, 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 and so, but, but I was thinking while we were singing that song, he doesn't stop saying that to us. He doesn't stop saying, once you got saved, he still wants you to come to him when you're heavy laden. He wants, still wants you to come to him just as you are. And bring that burden to Him. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you 
rest. And he's going to tell you how. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke, my, my burden of labor that I'm going to give you upon you and learn from me. And he's going to tell us, this is what he wants to learn about him. For I am gentle and lowly, the New King James says, but it's a word that means meek in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the yoke of an oxen usually was designed for two oxen. So he's not saying here, take that wooden oak or maple or whatever hardwood piece of wood off of you and I'm going to give you a plastic one that isn't quite so heavy. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you've been carrying this burden by yourself. Come. Notice he says, I never taught this before. Come to me. See, he's under a yoke. And he says, leave your yoke over there and come over here to me and get into the yoke that I'm carrying because, you see, I'm your partner. I'm the other side of this team. And I'll bear what you can't bear. See, what would happen with a yoke of oxen is they would go along under that burden. And if one of them stumbled, the reason they had two is the other one was still there. And they'd brace themselves and hold it until the other ox got his feet, f- feet, uh, footing under him and stood up and was able to go along. And Jesus says to me, says to you, come to my team and come under my yoke. Join me because I'll be your yoke mate and I'll carry what you can't carry. In fact, he's already carried what you can't carry. He carried the burden of your sin. In this conference, we had a speaker last night that talked about a woman that he knew who was in prayer and she just started seeking God and she said, Lord, I, I, I want to know what Jesus went through, just a taste of it. So, Lord, just give me a minute ex- experience of what that agony was like. And I can't remember the description of, of quite how it hit her. But it hit her and she hit the floor in writhing, she said, in the most excruciating agony of her soul and of her body. She said, I could feel demons eating at me. She could feel her, the sin eating it and the sickness and disease. And she cried out after a few seconds, I can't take it any longer, remove it. And when the Lord did immediately, it took her three hours to recover before she could get up. She said, my Lord, if that was just a taste of what she went through... He said, no, that's not what I went through for the world. That's a taste of what I went through for you. We really don't appreciate what our sins cost him. When we've been walking with the Lord for years, we forget often what it's like to not be saved. To look at the things of this world right now and face this world the way it is, I remember as, a, as we were newly married, as a young lawyer, I remember Sunday nights going, I don't know why, it was Sunday, because it was Sunday night somehow, I was facing a new work week. And I'd have this thought over and over again on a Sunday night. 
I realized one week of my life just slipped through my fingers. And I was only 25, 26. But I was already projecting how fast it was going. And it would scare me. I didn't say anything to my wife. I didn't say anything out loud. I'd go to try to go to sleep and that thought would run through my mind. My life's passing away. And once, it's, once that week's gone, it's gone. Because you see, I had no future to look forward to. I don't fear that anymore. And I'm a few years older than that now. <laughs> I don't fear the fact that another week's gone by. Because another week that's gone by, I'm closer to the Lord. We forget what that's like to be able, in spite of what you may be going through right now and how difficult it may be, you still have the peace that you're in Christ. We forget what it's like to be living in this world and not know Him and not know that salvation. You may, have not be, you may not be feeling the joy of your salvation right now, but you know down inside it's there. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here's the rest. You come up, leave your yoke, leave what you're carrying, and come and under my yoke, and I will be that strong partner for you. I will be that strengthener for you. For I am, I am gentle. I won't be hard on you. See, gentle doesn't mean weak. Anybody remember a TV show called Gentle Ben? Remember what Ben was? Ben was a big bear who could have crushed the star of that show at any moment, but he restrained his power. See, gentleness is restrained power. Jesus has all the power of God, but when He's your yoke mate, He's gentle towards you. He's gentle towards your weaknesses. He's gentle when you stumble. He's gentle when you're difficult, when things are difficult. Paul at one point, we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, brought his struggles to God and he pled with God. He said there's a messenger of Satan and that's what it was. It was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. He tells you later on what it was. It was persecutions. It was his own weaknesses that he dealt with. That those, it was designed to stop him from preaching the gospel. And he cried out to God, and God said, what? My grace. God didn't say no. God said, my grace. My grace. Not my judgment. My grace is sufficient for you. I want to share this thought with you. It, it ties in here. We're just kind of rambling tonight, but I just trust the Spirit of God's ministering to you. Is, is I, was, we were, I was reading a book when we were on vacation, written by a pastor who's going through some, a difficult time. And he made this comment. It just was so wonderful. I've got to share it with you. He said, God knows us so well that He's divided our time up into increments that we can handle. 24-hour days. You ever wonder if God, why God made us so we have to sleep? My mind's strange. I think of things like that. You know, if you could do anything, why would you make me so i got to sleep? I like it, but you know, why would you make me so I have to? And I began to see God knew us well enough to know we can only take things in, in bite-sized amounts. That means what God has given to us are, is to live our life in 24-hour periods. And here's why that's so crucial. 
Because the scriptures say at the beginning of every one of those 24-hour periods, his mercies are new every morning. So what you went through yesterday is gone. Your successes and your failures, that unit of time of your life is over. Don't live on yesterday's successes and don't live with yesterday's failures. Tomorrow hasn't come yet. You can't do anything about tomorrow. But today is a gift that God's given to you and His input into this day at the beginning is His mercy. His mercy is fresh today because God only wants you to live... Now, we don't, it doesn't mean we don't plan, but we're only to go through today. That's all you've got to go through is today and His mercy is new. T- tomorrow, new day, new mercy. But today, this mercy is new and sufficient for you. I think Jesus said something about this also in the Scriptures in Matthew where didn't He say to take no thought for when? Tomorrow, for there's enough evil to take care of itself. Tomorrow will take care of itself, but we're to live our life today. I used to have a habit of, of when I had you know, a good week, a week's vacation or something that was enjoyable, when I came back, I'd go back in my mind over that and try to relive it the next week and the week after that. And God dealt with me about that about a year or so ago. He said, son, when you do that, you're drawing on a memory of me. He said, I'm here today. I'm new today with you. I'm, wa- I'm ready to walk through today with you. Fresh, new day. Forget yesterday. Don't live on those failures. Don't live on those successes. Walk with me today. Come unto him today. All you that are weary and heavy laden, whatever it is, whether it's your finances, whether it's your walk with Him, whether it's your family, whatever it is you're carrying around, He doesn't want you carrying that by yourself. He wants you to bring it to Him. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4 and we'll end with this verse. I'll just read down because we're getting late here. We're going to pick up in verse... Um, well, I'll read verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even together the division of the soul and spirit. This is a continuation of that same thought about entering His rest. Verse 13. And there's no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him with whom we must give an account. That doesn't scare me. That encourages me. Because that means I can't hide something from Him. I don't want to hide it from Him. I want His help. Now, Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Look at verse 16. Let us, therefore, as a result of what we've been discussing, that's what therefore means, Let us therefore come boldly. That word boldly means without a sense of judgment and with a confidence that I'm going to be received. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of what? Grace. 
When Paul went to God and said, I can't handle this anymore. Get this Satan, this messenger of Satan. Get him away from me. What did God give him? Grace. What do we just say? God said, I give you every morning. Mercy. New every morning. That grace, we think of it as kind of a, you know, a weak-wristed grace. But grace is a very powerful word in the Bible. It's the grace of of God. It's one of the most powerful words in the Bible. In, in, I think it's Zechariah. There's a scripture there, I think it's for something, where, where God tells Zerubbabel to speak to a mountain. And what is the words he spoke to speak to it? Grace, grace, grace. And the mountain will be taken up and be removed. The grace of God is what sent Jesus to the cross. The grace of God is what's been extended to you and me. The grace of God is what was finished before the foundation of the world. Everything God has for you comes through His grace and is received by faith. But it comes from Him by His grace. And we are called in our time of weakness, in our time of need. He's saying, come to me, you that are weary and heavy laden. Come to me that you are having a struggle and I will give you rest. Come to me and take my yoke upon you. Come to the throne of grace that you may receive help, mercy, mercy and help in time of need. Labor to enter into His rest. Stop struggling. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to stay awake. The psalm says it's useless to get up, stay up all night and worry about it. It's useless. Instead, it says, by, like a weaned child that sits in its mother's lap, rest in the Lord. And then it said, O Israel, trust in the Lord. I think that's Psalm 127. Trust in His finished work. His work, everything God is ever going to do for you, was finished. Finished. Finished before the foundation of the world. We didn't get time to get in there. We may do that next week. Get into, over into Hebrews chapter uh, uh, chapter 12, chapter 10. And he talks about when he finished, he sat down. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is he seated? Because the work's done. And so we're to enter in to his rest by believing that his work towards you has been completed. All we have to do is receive it by believing that He's already done it. See, when you pray and you ask God to do something, isn't when He goes and does it. He did it before the foundation of the world. It's when you receive it. It's not when He did it. It's when you finally believed that it was yours and claimed it and received it. But it's already been done. Everything you're ever going to need, ever going to need, He finished for you before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 says He planned for you before the foundation of the world. Part of that planning for you is storing up what you are going to need. So why are we struggling? Why are we trying to get Him to do something He's already done? Let us just enter into His rest.